Welcome to The Word at First Pres, the official podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the fall, we're going to be working through a series called God in Science. Each week, we're going to be exploring the various ways that God has revealed to us through the study and field of science. Our first reading comes from the 69th Psalm, verses 16 through 20. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to me, redeem me, set me free because of my enemies. You know the insults I receive and my shame and dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Insults have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from the book of Jeremiah, verses, it's chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. This is when Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The word of the Lord. I would like to start this morning by talking about the election just briefly. I know that... Many of you are probably tired of hearing about the election, but I thought it would be important for us to take a moment today to talk about what the election means from the perspective of us as Christians sitting in this room. I don't think I need to tell you, because it is fairly obvious from what's been going on, that what this election has exposed is that we are a severely divided country. We are a group of people who have such deep divisions that we're at a point now where we're literally talking past each other. Would you agree with that? Like literally talking past each other. Now, because we're talking past each other, what that means is nobody's listening. People are speaking, but nobody's listening. And this is what I see. I get on, you know, Facebook and all these things. And this is the posture that I see people taking right now, which is I have nothing to say to you unless you see the world from my perspective. That's how it feels. And I don't care what side you're on on this. I see it from both sides. Jesus says that a house divided against itself cannot stand. I really believe that that is very true. If I'm not willing to listen to what you have to say to me, and you are not willing to listen to what I have to say to you, then we are going to destroy ourselves. And so... When I look at our situation, where we are right now, I see that people are very scared. Would you agree with that? I think people are very scared. And I think they're scared for one primary reason. And that is because whatever you believe to be true, 
you see the other side is poison, and you're backing into your corner, and you're saying, I don't want to hear about it unless you're willing to come around to see things my way. It makes me think of Dante's Inferno. I don't know if you've ever read Dante's Inferno before, but in Dante's Inferno, they're working their way into the seven levels of hell, and they get to the bottom level, the center of the earth, and they meet Lucifer. This is a door cut out of what that scene looks like. And as you can see, Lucifer is actually trapped in a lake that is frozen. Now, because they're at the center of the earth, they've been working their way down, by the time they get there, Lucifer is literally upside down in this story. And the reason why he's frozen is because he's flapping his wings and the cool air keeps cooling the lake off, preventing it from thawing out. That's why he's stuck there. And as he's flapping his wings, he's saying, if God would just see things my way, then life would be so much better. Now, of course, he's upside down, so he sees things from a completely different perspective than God, right? If he would just stop flapping his wings, the lake would cool or would thaw out and he could move and get out, but he's unwilling to. And that's how I see most people. I don't care whether you're conservative or liberal, Democrat, Republican. I see everybody sitting there and we're flapping our wings and we're saying, if people would just see the world from my perspective, then everything would be better. But if we just stop flapping our wings for a second and we let the lake thaw, then we can move. And when we can move, we can listen. When you come into this place, you're coming in to a house of worship. And you have to realize that in our house of worship, we're 50-50 in here. 50-50. Most churches are either one persuasion or the other. It is very rare to find a congregation where it's half and half. And so, when you come here, you're making an active decision to set aside your differences and come here under the umbrella of worshiping God and Jesus. You come in here because you want to love God, love others, love yourself. And you're willing to set all those things that you believe aside out there in the world to come here to be together with everybody else. And that's a wonderful thing. And so if we can learn how to mend our divides in here, then we can take that out into the world beyond these doors. And so what I'm going to be talking about today is how we're going to do that. And I want to tell you a story that I heard through a very, very interesting way. It wasn't one I've heard on the news. It wasn't something I read in a magazine or on the internet. What happened was a former student of mine from my church back in Pennsylvania, she called me on the phone. She's down at Stetson University in Florida, and she said, Alex, i got to tell you about this story. I heard this story. This woman came to my class and told us her story, and immediately I thought of you, and I want to tell you about it. So she told me the whole story, and I said, that's amazing. I would love to tell my congregation about that. Is it anywhere on the Internet? No, it's not. So I had to find her information, and I got in touch with this woman. Her name is Jamie Pollock, and I asked, could I tell her story? And she was reluctant at first to tell me her story, to talk with me. But as I'm really good at, I eventually wore her down. And <laughs> she was willing to talk to me. And the story I'm about to tell you today is a result of an interview that I did with her. So Jamie's story, she has a lot of twists and turns. But I want to start when she's 17 years old. 
17 years old, she's about to move into her father's house. Six years earlier, at age 11, her mother and father divorced. And as a result of that divorce, Jamie's mother got custody of her and her four siblings. So it's her mom and five children living under one roof. As you can imagine, it was quite chaotic. And Jamie endured quite a bit of abuse from her mother. At the age of 17, she attempted suicide, and the mental health professionals with whom she worked, they were wise enough to realize that she probably shouldn't go back home to her mother. And they asked, can you go live with your father? And her father said, sure, come and live with me. Now, she described the transition from going from her mother's house to her father's house as being like going from a world of total and complete chaos to a land of serene tranquility. Her father lived alone, and so when she would go home to his house, it was quiet, it was loving, it was safe. The exact opposite of what she was used to living at her mother's house. But after a little while of being with her father, she started noticing something strange was happening. She was hearing these voices speaking to her, and there was nobody else in the house. And she's wondering, who are these voices, and why are they speaking to me? What was even more strange was what these voices chose to talk about. They weren't talking about anything negative or scary. They were talking about all this random, boring, nonchalant daily stuff, like stuff that you and I think in our minds, but we wouldn't say out loud. It was things like, what am I going to wear today? Or what am I going to eat? Or what movie do I want to watch? And what was even more interesting is that these voices were aware of each other. They knew each other. They could hear each other. They could talk to each other. They could disagree with each other. So Jamie might go up and decide she wants to wear a pair of shoes. So she goes and she looks at all of her shoes, and one voice might say, let's wear those shoes. And the other one might chime in and say, I don't like those shoes. And then one might say, hey, let's, let's wear the green shoes. And then another voice comes out and says, we always wear the green shoes. So these voices are in her head, and she's hearing them all the time. The same time she starts hearing these voices, she comes to realize that something else strange is happening. She's losing large chunks of her time during her day. So she would go to school, she comes home about 4 o'clock, and then the next thing she knows, it's 9 o'clock, and she doesn't remember anything that happened for the last five hours. She's thinking to herself, what happened for the five hours I was at home? She goes to the grocery store, walks in to get some food. The next thing she knows, she's out in her car, and she's looking at this bag full of groceries thinking, I didn't buy any of this stuff. So it was the voices combined with the loss of time that made her realize something is probably not quite right here. So she, like most people, though, she only knows life from her perspective, right? I mean, that's all she knows. We only know life from our point of view. So she assumed, well... This is probably what most people are dealing with. This is normal. It was only later in her life when the voices and the loss of time prevented her from living a normal life that she sought out professional help. And after going from professional to professional, at the age of 28, she was diagnosed as having DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, which is formerly known as Multiple Personality Disorder. Dissociative Identity Disorder is a very severe condition in which a person has two or more identities located within their mind. 
And the reason why this is so severe is that those identities can literally take control of that person. In Jamie's case, she had some 15 different identities active within her mind. And these identities, they came about as a result of the abuse that she was enduring for the first 17 years of her life. So the way that her mind dealt with that abuse was by dissociating. The act of dissociation is when we detach from reality. Now the truth is that everybody in here, we all dissociate. Every single person, we do it. Now, to dissociate, like I said, is when you end up in a position where you decide you need to check out of reality for a period of time. It's a coping mechanism. So you all do that all the time. Let me give you some examples. Like when you watch television, or when you watch a movie, or when you get on the internet, or you're on your phone, or you drink too much, or you use drugs, those types of things, any behavior where you're trying to detach from your reality so you don't have to deal with your present circumstances, that is dissociation. Children dissociate by creating whole fantasy worlds in their mind. Very common. You can dissociate even as an adult by doing that, just creating a fantasy world in your mind. Children are more apt to do it when they are stressed. So if you see a child and the child has created this fantasy world with all these characters and all of these different playmates, it's their way of processing their emotions. Well, this is essentially what happened with Jamie, except it was much more severe. So in order to deal with all the abuse that was coming her way, her mind created these identities to endure the abuse on her behalf, in effect shielding her from having to be present during the trauma. Do you following me on this, how it worked? Now, she was not aware of what was happening. She was not aware that these identities were in place. It was something that through her childhood and her adolescence, her mind was doing in order to help her deal with this situation. And that's why when she became 17 and she left her mother's house and went to her father's house, that's when she realized that something was wrong because she needed those identities to cope with the situation at her mother's house. But then she goes to her father's house which is calm and loving and all those things, and she doesn't need that coping mechanism anymore. And so as a result of that, that's when all of a sudden she realizes there's something amiss because those coping identities are still active. So at the age of 28, she begins the long process of taking these identities and integrating them together and reducing them down so that she can become more whole. The way it worked was that basically the therapist would have to find each of these identities and then in finding them he would have to essentially let that identity talk about its memories and the trauma it endured because remember what's the point of the identity to keep you from knowing what happened and so by allowing that trauma to come out and be in the world releasing those memories the the identity did not have a purpose any longer. And from that point, when it no longer had those memories, it could be reintegrated into the whole. Now, the way that she described it, and I think this is really beautiful, and that's why I have these candles up here. She said it was like trying to find a light in the darkness. So there's a light in the darkness, and you locate the light, and the whole idea is, is that you're trying to guide the light back to the whole. Right? And the whole is Jamie, trying to guide it, guide it back to the bigger light. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? 
And so they had to do this with each of them. This whole process, it took about 10 years for them to reintegrate most of these. And she was back down to the core four. The core four is what she calls them. So it's her plus four other identities that are still present right now. The way she describes them is one is her social college self. Another is her angry protector self. The third that she has still active is her professional business self. And the final is her relationship, romantic, or loving self. So it's her plus these four. Now, as amazing as this all sounds, the reality is, is that Jamie and I are, or Jamie and us, we are really no different. She's really no different from you or I. We all have these different parts to our personality, right? We all have these different aspects to our personality. So let's say you guys are going to go out and do something social, right? You're going to put on your social face, aren't you? Like when you go out because you got to get ready, you're going to be in conversation with people. You know what I'm talking about, right? Or let's say you're going to go to a meeting. You're going to put on your professional business face when you go to your meeting to make sure that everything's taken care of in the right way. You know what I'm talking about, right? You have these different aspects to your personality that you bring out. The difference between her and us is that she has no control over these things and they're speaking to her all the time. The other way that we are very much the same is that we all compartmentalize these negative aspects of who we are. So she compartmentalized them into identities, but we do the same thing. Let me give you an example. So when you all walk through the door to the church, it is very common for people to walk in here and to put on a face that everything is going well, right? I mean, you all dress up in your nice clothes, right? We get up, we put on the happy face, we come in, and we want to show everybody that everything is going well. So even if your personal life is in shambles, even if your family is having trouble, even if you are dealing with things at work or in other places, you leave all that behind and you pretend like it doesn't exist for a period of time. Now that compartmentalization, that's a coping mechanism. And in some ways, there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, let's be honest, not all the time do we want to bring all our baggage with us wherever we go. I mean, sometimes you want to go to a place and you just want to leave all that behind and not think about it for a little while. I get that, and that's understandable. But the problem with that coping mechanism is that when you leave certain parts of yourself behind, you become a fractured person. So we never get to know the whole you, the real you. We only get to know a part of who you are, whoever you choose to be in that moment. And far from discouraging this type of behavior... I think the church very much encourages us to compartmentalize and not allow people to know about those negative aspects of our lives. So, let me give you an example. Let's say that you're struggling in your marriage. You come to church and you're looking for some sympathy, you're looking for some way of dealing with this problem, and you come in here and you sit down and you look around, and all you see are happy couples. Everybody's just looks like everything's going great, right? So you come in and you sit down and you're looking at them and you're thinking to yourself, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I make it work? I mean, all these people seem to be doing really well. And so you feel ashamed of yourself. And you don't want to be judged, so you just kind of stuff it all down and you pretend like everything's okay. But everything's not okay. Because that's not a true reflection of who you are. 
It's not a true reflection of the pain and suffering and the struggles that you're going through in that relationship. It's like what we read about in that psalm, right? That psalm was kind of negative. But in the psalm, the psalmist sits there and says, you know, my heart is in despair. And I reached out for pity, but there was none. And I looked for comforters, but I found none. You come here, you're looking for people to love you, to embrace you, to show you some sympathy, and all you get is a mirror to your life of how you're not living up to society's expectations for you. And so I think the implicit message that a lot of people feel when they come in to church is that if you're a broken person, you need to get your life together before you can come through these doors. And far from making us whole, it reinforces these fissures when we come to church in that way, these fissures in our personality. Because what we think is, is that we're not worthy of love. The only parts of us that are worthy of love are those that don't have any issues or problems. And so there's this theology that a lot of people believe is that only God can only love me when I've dealt with all my problems and, and I don't have any issues anymore because that's the only way God can truly, fully love me. A good friend of mine, she was walking down the street one day. This is a really, uh, this is a woman who lives it out. And she told me how she came across this homeless man. He was sitting on the sidewalk. She was walking to church. And she told him, she said, hey, will you come with me to church? Because afterwards I'd be happy to get you something to eat. But I'm going there now. And if you come with me, we can go and then we can go afterwards. And he said, oh, no. I appreciate your offer, though. But I, I can't go because I got this drinking problem. But once I get that under control, then, then I'll go to church. And she goes, you don't need to do that. God loves you just as you are. And this poor man who felt so much shame and so much guilt from his alcoholism just sat there and wept. The reason why you come to this place, the reason why we have this church, this community, is so that you can come here and you can bring your brokenness, your suffering, your struggles, everything good and bad about who you are. You bring that here so God can mend you and make you whole. Just like we read with Jeremiah and the potter, right? I love that verse. It's a great imagery, isn't it? When he comes in and he's looking at this potter and he's making this pot and then it spoils in his hand and he has to rebuild it into something different and God says, can I not do the same with you, O Israel? God wants to reform us. God wants to make us whole. But the truth is, that can only happen if we're open and we're honest with each other. You can't keep these parts of yourself hidden away because you're worried about being judged or unloved. The truth is, there's not a single person sitting in this room who doesn't have issues and problems. Everybody in here does. The only difference is whether you're willing to open up and tell us what you have or if you're going to keep it hidden into yourself. And the only way you deal with those problems is by putting them out there and confronting them. This is why I told you a story about Jamie Pollock. I told you her story because, I mean, I didn't even get into half the stuff that she's had to deal with in her life. But it was extreme trauma and abuse. And she had all of that built inside of her. And at some point, she had to unpack all that stuff. She had to let it out, and she had to deal with it. 
And that was really hard for her to do. But in doing all of that, she became a whole person. And that is what I want for every single person in our church. I want us all to be whole. But the only way that's going to happen, the only way God is going to be able to mend us and put us back together is if we are open and honest. So what that means is we have to be real with each other. Are you willing to be real, Frozen Chosen? (laughs) Are you willing to tell other people in this room about those parts of yourself that you're ashamed of? Those parts of yourself you don't want anybody to know about? Those parts of yourself that you keep hidden away? That takes a lot of trust, doesn't it? And I know that the answer for most of you is, No, I don't really want to talk about those things. We all have them, by the way. Nobody doesn't. We all do. And Jamie Pollock, I really think that she's an inspiration to us. This woman doesn't know me at all. And here I am, I'm calling her up and I'm asking her, let me tell your story to hundreds of people in our church. And she took a chance because she trusted me with her story. And she trusts you all to want to hear that story and take something away, which is that you can become whole. So if we're going to foster that kind of trust in this community, then we need the people who come through our doors to feel like they can be themselves, real and unvarnished. They need to be able to come through these doors and feel like we aren't going to judge them for who they are and simply ask them to be themselves, to not expect that they're going to change. I want the people who come through our doors to bring all parts of themselves, the good, the bad, and the horrific, because those are all parts of who you are, and God loves all of those things, even if you don't. And so what I want to end with this morning is I want to ask you, do you think we can be a community like that? I mean, that's hard, isn't it, to be a community that's that open. So... I'm going to give you a challenge today. This challenge is something that most of you are going to walk right out of here and you're not going to think twice about. But I'm going to say it anyway because, you know, that's what I do. (laughs) Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find one person in this community who is not your spouse or your significant other. A person with whom you can share your faults, your flaws, the things that you are struggling and suffering with, your gifts even, all the things that are good and bad about your life. And I want you to talk to them about it. I want you to reveal to them those hidden parts of yourself. Because the way that God mends us, the way that God can make us a whole person, is it's through the people who we are around. That is so very important to realize. We talk about a God of love all the time, but God mends us through each other. You all heal me. As much as I am here to heal you, I want you to know that. And God works through you and can make you better. And so find that person. Talk to them. And if you happen to be fortunate enough, if you take me seriously and you go to somebody and you say, I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to tell you about these things in my life that I'm struggling with, here's what you need to do. You need to listen, you need to not judge, and you need to show them love. Because... That's where it comes from. Can we love each other? Do you think? I hope that you're willing to give it a try. 
Because if we can find wholeness in here, then we can bring it out there into the world. That world out there is broken and divided, and it needs mending, but we can do it together if we try and if we are willing. And so, may you be the type of people here who are willing to take a chance. May you have the trust to tell other people about who you are. And may you take that wholeness that you find in here into a world that is broken and in need of healing. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.